Her name is Candy Gibson. She is the director of marketing at World Impact. World Impact is uh, church planting, church coordinating. I don't actually know officially what, what you call yourselves, Candy, but they're awesome. Uh, we've met with a number of World Impact people. I was able to attend uh, church plant training through World Impact uh, School of Evangelism. They do incredibly, incredibly good things in our city uh, throughout the country. And they're trying to uh, build a network of churches that support each other, that work together to see uh, churches in the urban uh, world uh, reach people for Jesus, make a difference in the community, and bring the kingdom of God uh, to earth as it is in heaven. And Candy has been a part of church plants. She attends Wheatland Mission, uh, which is one of our friend churches. We've had Nathan lead worship for us uh, a couple, about a month ago from Wheatland Mission. And Candy was here last summer, and we got to see her in person. But today we will settle for her on Zoom. So if you would welcome Candy and her parents. Her parents are here to hello to Candy's <laughs> parents. We apologize for all the trouble she's caused you in her life. Um, but I've gotten to know Candy a little bit, not enough, uh, but she's awesome and she's a friend of the dwelling. And so she's going to share with us as we look at now what in light of the resurrection of Jesus. Candy, thank you for being with us. Yeah, I was really excited when you asked. Um, and yes, I caused my parents a lot of hardship growing up, a lot. And they are gracious and amazing. And I grew up in Michigan, so that's where they are. And I'm here in Wichita with y'all. Um, and I just have to say one thing. I am so excited and I cannot wait to go back to church to sing together with people and not just, I'm not married. I have a roommate, but she's out for today to not sing alone in my dining room, which is where my office is. And I hope, I know many of you probably feel the same way. Um, is if anybody were to hear just me sing outside the Lord, it would not be the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> And I just want to jump in. I want to thank you for having me. Um, but I'm looking at my notes and I'm going to laugh at myself. My intro is, I don't have a cute intro or personal anecdote. But I will at the end. And then I put a smiley face emoji in my notes. That just speaks to how I type and write. Is There's literally an emoji in the notes for my sermon prep. So bear with me. <laughs> this, will, this is what isolation and the stay-at-home order is done. Um, the passage we're going to look at tonight is in Micah. It's Micah 6, 8, 6 through 8, but I'm going to give us a little bit of background on Micah. Um, not a deep delve into the first um, six, eight chapters, um, but just a little bit so you know where this, where Micah 6, 6 through 8 is coming from. Um, this passage is for us. This book reflects, um, the book of Micah, reflects the ever-present reality of the world today. Micah presents us with a story of political corruption, wealthy and oppressive landlords, celebrity false prophets, and evil being done in the broad daylight. No one was hiding anything. No one was making deals behind closed doors. It was happening where everyone could see it. Micah 2.12 says, Alas, for those who devise wickedness and evil deeds in their bed, basically they're dreaming of evilness. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is their power. 
They covet fields and seize them, houses and take them. They oppress householder and house, people and their inheritance. They dream of wrong, they dream of greed, and they do whatever they want because they can. Does this sound familiar? I know Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun, and it's true because we see the same thing today. Micah is about the people of Israel breaking the covenant they made with God. There are charges, there are facts laid out, and there is a solution. Micah's message to the people is completely in line with the prophets before him. God, Yahweh, the covenant God, is consistent with what he desires. And let's dig into tonight's, tonight's text and talk about what this means for us. Micah 6, 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I'm going to pray before we dig into this. Father, I thank you so much for who you are and who the scriptures say you are and how you are consistent with who you are. May you bring to our ears what we need to hear and bring to our hearts what needs to change. Thank you for loving us. We love you the best we can. In your name, amen. Part of me wants to skip to verse 8 and only offer the solution. But that wouldn't necessarily be helpful because there's so much more to this text. And I know it was implied earlier, but I want to be clear. We, I, am not the prophet. We, I, am the problem. We are the ones who need this message today. We are the ones who need to live this lifestyle now. Verses six and seven, as I read it over and over, I just kept seeing in my mind, like some kind of divorce proceedings and movies are on a TV show where one spouse is like, oh, will this make you happy? You can have the kitchen table. Oh, you can have the art collection. Oh, you want the car? Okay. Oh, you want the kids? Are you kidding me? It sounds like a fight where one person wants the acknowledgement of wrongdoing, but the other person has no desire to apologize. It sounds like, let me give you all this stuff, but there's really something deeper and emotional and personal that should be offered up. And a lot of the, a lot of the commentaries and theologians I was reading kept referring to this little section of the argument as the commodification of worship. They took worship and boiled it down to these things. The Israelites had been making worship about what they could bring to the table, but then they could just walk away. 
They did not want to have to stay. They did not want the act of worship to change them. They wanted to set their worship in the offering plate and pass it to the next person and exit. They wanted the divorce to be about the stuff and not about the adultery, not about the other stuff that really brought this plate to them to this place. Let's look at the verses. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? This question deserves an answer. And we will get one here in a moment. But I also want to draw a line to a New Testament answer. In Romans 12, 1, we're told, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper act of worship. So what should we bring before the Lord? We should bring all of us, all of me. But the other answers are always easier. All of me is hard. So let's look at what's easier. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Technically, this is an approved answer. Stamp approved right on it. But alas, it's not enough. A burnt offering without a changed heart means very little. Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams and ten thousand rivers of oil? No. Not when they come from your excess. Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Still no. And the hyperbole is in full effect. What? You want my firstborn? Fine, take it. This is, this is the attitude probably most teenagers deal with, most parents deal with with teenagers. I know mine probably did. <laughs> it's, oh, it's so stubborn. But all the while, Yahweh has brought forth a consistent message of what he wants. Amos cried out for it. Hosea spoke it, and Isaiah called the people to do it. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. God Almighty, omnipotent creator, has shown us time and time again what is good. He has shown us what is required. And what does the Lord actually require of you? What does he want you to do? He wants you to act justly. What does that even mean? At World Impact, we have these t-shirts that have this verse on it. And as I was doing the study and preparing this, this is one of my favorite verses. I literally have the word justice tattooed on my arm. And I'm like, but what does this actually mean to act justly? Justice can be this really tricky word because often justice means different things to different people. Our perception of justice is predicated on where we live, on the laws of our land, on our personal theology. But I propose we look to John the Baptist for a start at what justice means. And we look at Luke 3, where he tells the, the crowd that is gathered around him as he's come out of the wilderness, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. 
And when asked how to, how to follow, how to become like him, how to follow the one who will be coming, he says, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. And then some more people ask, and he says, don't collect any more money than you are required to. And then some more people ask, and he says, don't extort for money. And don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. I think those are some just practices. And I think that's a good starting point at what Jesus would say justice is and what God thinks justice is. And I'm not trying to trivialize what Micah and John are saying, but I do want this to be practical. The Hebrew word for justice also means righteousness. And when I was a kid, because my parents aren't here, I have to tell the story, because my mom will be like, why didn't you tell that story? When I was a kid, I thought the opposite of righteousness was wrongnessness, because that makes total sense in the head of a child. Um, but it's also true. The opposite of righteousness is wrong, and the opposite of justice is wrong. So what does this look like? How do we, how do we live this life? Maybe it starts while we're all at home with cleaning out our closets and literally donating clothes. And not necessarily just to the goodwill, but maybe to the Lord's Diner, to those who don't have clothes. Maybe we tutor kids at the Boys and Girls Club because their school does not look the same as your child's school. Maybe we join others in Wichita by providing lunches for kids without access. This is what justice can look like today in our context right now. And not because it's a good thing to do, but because as Christians, it's the right thing to do. So we're to do justice. And we're to love mercy. This is a tough one for me. I do not naturally incline myself to being merciful. And to love mercy, I don't know if that's something I'm good at, but this word, hesed, my college RA, her name was hesed. So every time I look at this word, that's all I think about is her. And she was a very merciful person. She gave me much grace. Um, but this word is all about God's covenant love with his people a love that has a strong tie to loyalty. We are to be loyal to God's love. Over the years, I've developed this practice because I know I'm not good at mercy. Um, when I'm unsure of how to respond to a situation or feeling or behavior because it's different than what I would choose, not behaviors that are wrong, that's different, but behaviors that are just different, um, I say to myself, when in doubt, choose love. The people of God can never go wrong when they love others. This does not mean we have to agree with them. This does not mean we have to endorse them. It does not mean that we have to be okay with decisions that are being made. But it means that God has been overwhelmingly merciful with me, and I in turn need to love others. And yesterday, there's a great example of this in my own life yesterday, and my roommate and I went to Target to get aloe because we had sat in the sun for too long, and there was a bit of a sunburn going on, 
and we were leaving the parking lot and Target is kind of my happy place. If there's ever a place to be merciful, it is Target. We were leaving the parking lot and the, the driver in front of us was going about five under and I was driving, so I was annoyed. And they also had a Confederate flag on their car, which just annoyed me. And we went to pass him and the driver could not, maybe he was 17, but I swear to you, he wasn't older than 12. And I went, I just like went off on my, talking to my roommate. And I was just like, he's not even old enough to make a decision about those. That's how he should feel about the world. Like, why would you choose that when you've probably never left your small area? Like, and I just went off. And she looked over at me and she laughed. She's like, yeah, that's probably how he was raised. And it is wrong, but honestly, he probably doesn't know better and it's probably been really sheltered. She showed mercy and grace and love while I wanted to drive him off the road. She chose mercy while I chose anger and outrage. This week, let's choose love and mercy with our neighbor whose grass might be too long or the car going five under. In those moments, choose love. To the person whose political ideologies you disagree with and they seem to not listen to reason, stop fighting and just love them. The road of mercy is not easy, but it is good. And now, to walk humbly with God. Let's first talk about the word walk, because I think that's an interesting choice. In the New Testament, when Jesus called people to himself, he did not say, just believe. He said, follow me. The act of walking with God happened in the garden, it happened with Jesus, and we get to walk with God in acts of humility. Now, humility has come to mean something other than what this passage implies. Today, we talk about someone who is humble. Sometimes it means shy. Sometimes it means meek. Sometimes it means lacking confidence. But this humility, this biblical humility, is about being careful and prudent and intentional. Walking humbly means to be careful and intentional. So how do we do this? As followers of Christ, we are to keep our eyes open and not just react. We are to be intentional with our words and our posts and our reactions. This week, walk humbly with God. Pray before you react. Pause before you respond to that email and know that you are doing this all with God. The people Micah had been speaking to, the Israelites who were being given this prophetic word, had been freed from slavery. They had been freed from something harsh and had chosen then to oppress and do wrong even though they had lived in that bondage. We, as Christians today, are freed from sin. We have the opportunity to demonstrate justice and mercy and humility. And I know there is a strange intersection between these phrases and these practices, 
justice, we get what we deserve, mercy, we get what we don't deserve, and humility to receive both justice and mercy of God while showing it all to others. Several years ago, um, when I was living in Pennsylvania, I was mugged. Um, the car drove up in the opposite direction I was walking, and the guy asked for directions and leaned out of the passenger side. And I thought, I know, I'm going to sing a song, and I'm not going to sing hanging out the passenger side of my best friend's ride. But <laughs> he opened the car door, and he, I thought he was going to spit. You know, people do that in the city. They open the car door, they spit, they close the car door. And instead, he grabbed for my purse as I was trying to tell them how to get to the Baltimore Pike. And uh, I locked my purse in my elbow, and he kind of got out of the car, and I was kicking him and hitting him, but I'd throw my phone in the back seat of the car, and there were four guys in the car. And it was just kind of a disaster, and I was very shook up, and they finally drove away as people drove by and yelled the license plate number of the car to me, but I was near the mall. And then somebody stopped and called 911, and the police came, and the whole, the whole big thing. And I remember sitting in court, waiting for court to start, and um, the officer who had been working with me, Officer Lang, pulled me outside for a second as I'm sitting across from one of the kids, one of the young men in the car. One was actually in jail, because this was a multiple offense. The other one was young in a first offense. And he's sitting across from me, and the, the cop pulls me out, and he said, Miss Gibson, because you know, that's how they talk to you. And he's like, Miss Gibson, we know, so the young man who's coming from the correctional facility, he has a long line of mental health issues, and he had just been released from a live-in facility, and he had chosen not to take his meds. And we really believe that's what led to this. And in my mind, I was like, justice is this dude going down. But in my heart, I was hearing from the Lord that mercy is dropping the charges so he can go back to a mental health facility to get things taken care of. And humility was not boasting about crushing the mugger. But humility was not what's best for me, what's best for the person who did something terrible. And so we dropped the charges a little bit so he could go get help he needed. But I've always thought about that intersection of justice and mercy, how they play and what happens with them and how we play them out in our own lives. And I wanna leave with some words from Peter Lyhart. And he says, God says something like this, because I have saved you, the Israelites from Egypt, you should live like people who have been saved from Egypt. In the New Testament, Paul teaches the same way. He says that Christians are dead to sin. Because you are dead to sin, you should live like people who are dead to sin by putting sin to death. But God has done for us is the basis of what he commands us to do. 
the basic command is be the kind of people that the Lord has made you. Live up to who you are. How do we live up to who we are? We join with the Israelites who repented and we do justice and we love mercy and we walk humbly every day with God and with each other. Thank you for having me.